Welcome to season three. Welcome to season three of this most unbelievable podcast. We're doing it, Paul. We're doing it, Sherry, and here we are again. Here we are again. So when we started season one, we had no plan. We just explored topics as they came up. And for season two, we made a plan. How do experiences go through the mind, the body, and the heart? Now we go into season three. Do we have a plan? Well, a couple of topics keep coming up. Yeah, so what reoccurring theme do you see, Paul? I see the topic of connection coming up a lot. What do you see, Sherry? Definitely connection, and also persistence. Uh, Connection and persistence. These are pretty big themes, Paul. These are pretty big themes, Sherry, and we'll do our best to cover them well here in Season 3. And we thank you, dear listeners, for joining us as we explore these topics. If you like what you hear and you want to support us, please visit the website and click on the donate button to support us on Patreon. You can also check out our website where you can learn more about the workshops and events we have coming up. Thanks for listening, everybody. Now on with the show. Hey, Paul. Hey, Sherry. What's going on? Not much. How are you? I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. Um, I'm noticing that the beginning of our podcast turned into now a staring contest where we see who the first person who is going to speak first. That could... Is. This time it was you. Yeah. Did you see me giving you that look like, don't you dare? It's my turn. Kind of. Okay. Kinda. Yeah. A little bit. A little bit. Yeah. Okay. I was feeling a little aggressive today. So... Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, here we are. Here we are. What is it? It is uh, September 16th. It is. It is. That is true. Uh, I'm trying to think if that means anything to me. September 15th does mean something to me, but September mm. 16th less so. Uh, September 15th was the day I defended my dissertation. Oh, congratulations. Six years ago. So your dissertation birthday. Yes, indeed. Sort of. My became a doctor day yay nice do you remember when you defended uh you said that was the 15th of september Mm -hmm. yeah um i think it was in june Mm. june 15 june 15 it was a june situation if i recall yeah it was a june situation late in june um because university of california at least the campus i was at is on the quarter system Mm. so that uh that spring quarter goes from you know the middle of march through essentially the middle of june yeah which is very different from our semester system we have now, which I still freak out about that. It's like, wow, we're done in early May. That's crazy. It's crazy. Uh, yeah. We were still going for another month. And again, right at that quarter system, we didn't start until the middle of September. So That's true. This semester, like we're, this is our first 15 week semester. And yeah, so I'm yeah. realizing next week, we're like a third of the way there. Yeah. A third of the way through next week. Crazy. Yeah. Week four, yeah. Moving into week five, mm-hmm. moving into week five in my, uh, my schedule at uh, our institution is front loaded on the week. Yours is back loaded. So indeed. So you're entering like the glory days of the week, and I'm just yeah, the halcyon days are almost upon me. Yeah. With, oh. Yeah, that's. I feel like whenever I talk to you on Thursday afternoons, you're like, ah, oh, the weekend oh. is here, and I'm like, sir. I have a whole other class I, to teach. All I have to do is grade the 100 assignments that I assigned earlier in the week when I was uh, in, in all of these classes. So we, yeah. I think we flip around. I think you do a lot of your grading early in the week. And I, I do. do a little bit later. I do. Yeah. We get it done, though. 
Yeah, yeah we, we were noticing earlier on uh, when the semester started, it's like we have completely opposite schedules of each other. We're going to have to come up with a, <laughs> a new schedule. And I think we did. I think we're in the flow. I think we're. Yeah, in, I think we did zen, it. Yeah, so. yeah. It's been pretty good. But it, it has been kind of weird. I was noticing, um, I feel, you know, in the summer, I think we had a lot more time just to hang out. And now it's yeah. like, oh, we got to do work. I'll see you later. Yeah, got to do work. It stinks. Yeah. It stinks, so. We love our kids. We love our kids. We do. And we we try to show up for them as best we can. And uh, we, we, I was going to say, I hope, I think they show up as best they can uh, for us as well. Um, yeah. I think we give them invitations. And yeah. Yeah, many of them, yeah. And many of them, accept those invitations like with like great pleasure and and that's that's part of the joy of the job right yeah so it is <sighs> yeah and uh, before we started we were talking a little bit about some stuff that i guess maybe at the time didn't seem like it's related to this, but it turns out maybe it is. Maybe it is. Maybe it is. Well, we decided before we pressed record that we were going to frame this podcast around a particular question that I was going to ask you, right? We did. We did. Yeah. Uh, what was that question? You want to hear the it? question? Let's hear it. Yeah. So listen. I've already heard it. So dear listener, right? Enjoy this one. Here's the question for today. The question is, Paul... Why are you like this? Why are you like this? Why are you like this? Why are there's all kinds of ways you can go with this? Why are you yeah. like this? Why are you like this? Why are you like this? Mm -hmm. Why are you I mean you could you could almost emphasize the the, the are why are you like this? Why are I mean, you? Every word is a is a different flavor of that. And uh, this is this is a question that sort of came up, I think, uh, in my in my reflection on it, sort of as a result of that conversation we were having. You know, mm -hmm. I would dare to say that Doctor Spiegel and I both had some experiences in our lives that weren't necessarily uh, the best, uh, <laughs> and um, shocking. We're so unique. <laughs> shocking, yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm trying not to turn, why are you like this? And what's wrong with you? You know, <laughs> what's wrong with you, Paul? Why are you like this? Because um, oftentimes those two statements sort of go together. I think anybody who has had, uh, you know, maybe this, I, I, I say this kindly. If if you know me or if you had one of my classes, and I, I suspect it's the same about uh, Sherry, possibly. It's like, huh, she is a unique individual. She is <laughs> special in her own ways. Uh there are quirks in this in this man that uh, are new to me in my understanding. All of those statements, I think, are true. Um, and uh, when we, I think, Sherry, when you and I show up for a class and or a group of people or wherever it is, we try to bring our best selves. Mm -hmm. And I think that that we show up with when we think about that and the what why are you like this that we bring, maybe based on not just our. Um, not just on what we do well in our training as academicians, but also is may somewhat be based on some of those less uh, less rosy times that we've had in our lives. Mm -hmm. I think you're right. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, 
of course that's true, right? Like uh, the experiences we have frame who we are and what we bring to the table. Um, And they make us who we are in interesting ways. So it's funny that you tried not to turn that question into, by the way, you still haven't answered the question. Of course not. (laughs) No, I may not before this podcast is over. (laughs) Oh, you'll answer it. Um, But it's interesting that you automatically went to from why are you like this to what's wrong with you? Yeah. And the word automatic is important when you say that, Mm -hmm. you know, um, it's like it happens by itself that that sort of leap. Yeah. Well, because the assumption is, is that the question is asked, right? Like you think about the time that this question is really gets asked. It's often, I think if people are authentically asking it, they're asking it as a rhetorical question. And one of the things I always talk to my students about is that rhetorical questions are often not kind. They Mm -hmm. are asked in a way to point your attention to a particular, like, a particular thing, right? Like, so if you ask somebody like, you know, what are you stupid? You don't actually want them to reflect upon their IQ. You want to point something out. And so when I ask Paul, why are you like this? The reason I'm asking, but there is not the same as the reason I think people would normally ask this question in a conversation. Yeah. It would probably be in reaction to something that was seen or heard or was rumored or whatever it whatever mm-hmm. it might be. Why are you like this? Yeah. So I think that question often comes. Um, and I think I point it more towards myself than I do other people. Like, uh, and I think that's part of where this conversation came in. Uh, this hasn't been the smoothest week for me in the world of Sherry's brain. Um, and so I think I find myself asking this question of myself, like, why are you like this? Uh, and for me, the question is an automatic, like, gosh, what is wrong with you, woman? Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it, it requires something that you and I have been talking about, you know, with our classes and, and with each other a little bit, this whole metacognition issue, mm-hmm. right? You think about what how you think, thinking about how you think a little bit and sort of cultivating and developing that reflective uh, mind that sees itself. Mm-hmm sort of um and when if you pay attention to how you think i think this is probably true for anyone out there if you if you pay attention to how you think and you think about how you think you will notice things that are a little bit quirky that mm. are unique in the recurring themes that come up your um habits and reactions to different events maybe ones that are that seem baked in hardwired mm-hmm. i don't know if they are or not um but that metacognitive ability to, to reflect on that is, is, does the question, why are you like this when you think about yourself? Is, is that, would you say that is metacognitive? Um, I think when you're, yeah, when you're putting it back on yourself, it is engaging in a metacognitive, it, it is inviting a metacognitive exercise. And when you put that on somebody else, you're just sort of being judgmental, mean, mean <laughs> and judgmental. <laughs> yeah. It's okay to ask yourself that question, but it's not always okay to... You know. Well, and it's interesting because I don't know if like, like, I like the idea of starting this episode asking this question of you, but yeah. I would never actually ask this question of you. Yeah. Why are you like this? Paul, why are you like this? Is that the tone and the inflection? Or is it, I mean, is there a kinder way to ask that question? Sherry, I'm really curious about something. Why are you like this? No, that didn't work. Yeah, I don't. Uh, 
why do you like this? Why are you like? I don't know. I don't know if there's a way to do it that uh, sounds kind. Well, it's it's funny using know, those using that phrase using those specific words. Yeah, it's it's interesting. You know, not too long ago, uh, you were doing this uh, what this trauma informed pedagogy workshop. Yeah, right, right. right. And I think. Um, because I may or may not have been kind of listening in one day while Paul was in this workshop. Um, so I remember the person facilitating had kind of like said like, well, you know, when you learn about people's trauma, you can't just go around asking people like, why are you like this? Why you like this? Um, except because sometimes you kind of want to, right? Like, I feel like we don't necessarily ask the question, but sometimes we might observe a behavior uh, in other people wherein I think the more empathetic thing to do is instead of just responding to the behavior, like, oh my gosh, what a jerk. Instead, like, I think being curious and asking, oh, what a peculiar behavior. I wonder why this is that person's response to this situation. Same. Why? Yeah, that, that came up uh, mm -hmm. a little bit in the, um, in the trauma-informed uh, pedagogy workshop um one of the things that came up from a couple of the people that were in there with it it was a big workshop there were a lot of people in it was well don't you have to know what the what the trauma is in order to be able to respond to it mm. um because what the workshop was about is uh sometimes you can recognize these these behaviors these needs these responses these reactions that people might have in your classroom um, and how do you learn to, to recognize these not as this person is acting out of character and they're doing something wrong and how do they get like this? Or, you know, what, what is, what's going on here? How do they get this way? Mm -hmm. um, why are they like this? To the causes and conditions of people's lives, oftentimes a result in uh, the differences that make us who we are. Yeah. I mean, and, and it's, it's, I mean, I, 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 I hope, a lot of our listeners are just heard that statement and they're saying, well, obviously, you know, <laughs> uh, the, the, the question itself posits the, the preference of everybody just being the same all the time and everybody meeting a standard expectation of what people do and how people act and how people behave and whatever. And, uh, that certainly isn't what we see when we go outside, you know, everybody, you know, you think I'm weird. You think you're weird. Well, everybody's weird, Cherry. You know, because, because we've all had these different experiences that uh, caused them to be like this. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, but I think we know this, right? Like, this is a thing that we know, right? Like, exactly like what you just said. Like, what you said should not surprise anyone. And yet, how often do we find ourselves, like, really frustrated by people or you know just totally like put off by people and the reason comes down to dang it this human does a thing different than me how different dare they you. yeah moreover moreover or more so um ramdas used to have this really good blurb on one of his recordings from 1970 whatever you know early 1980s when he was doing the circuit um and uh, this is where, Sherry, my my phrase, it was it was more present in my life last year than it is this year. What a gift. Mm. What a gift. Um, and if you ever wonder 
what your what game you're playing if you're ever wondering where your expectations are on how this world works and how uh, and, and the expectations you have of others in participating in your worldview. Uh, we have these wonderful, wonderful teachers out there who can liberate us and point out exactly how our presumed worldview and our expectations we put on it and the framework and the model that we put on it, on it is completely absurd. Mm-hmm. And uh, anytime that you're witnessing behavior and you see somebody just completely playing a different game, they're not participating in any way in how you think the world, the, the universe works and how the world works and what the objectives are. Somebody will show you what that is, uh, what where exactly where you're wrong about this. And you'll say, why did, why are they like this? Why are they doing this thing? How did they get to be this way? Right. And these people are not inconveniences for us. They're not uh, problems to be solved. They're not, you know, issues to be addressed. They're not, um, there's not something wrong with them because we're doing it the right way. Because what that, of course, assumes is that you got it all figured out mm-hmm. and your way of the model of the universe is correct. It just takes one person, you know, interacting with you in an antagonistic way that doesn't fit into that to tell you there's not something wrong with this person. This person's fine. Right. There is something wrong with your model of the universe <laughs> and how all of this works. These people are our teachers. Mm-hmm. They are not our obstacles. And then Rob Das will say, wow. What a gift. What a, what a gift. gift that these teachers are, <laughs> that these people are in our lives, right, to serve as teachers, to show us exactly how yeah. our, our, our model that we try to use to impose upon the universe what we think it should be right. is, is fallacious, is completely fallacious. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Like, I can't tell you how many times I've been talking to my dear therapist, who I know I've mentioned on this podcast before, and, like, she will say to me, Sherry, you cannot change the other people in your life you can only change your reaction to them and i'm like dang it i have come here for you to tell me how to figure out paul or not paul paul's very easy to figure out Paul is unfigureoutable i'm so complicated he is a simple man um but like so you know so many times like i've realized like how many times in life like i think that like the person I'm talking to is the problem, but the problem really is, it is, it's, it's me. It's my reaction to the person, not the actual human. Although I will say that there are times in life where I have come to see that I have distinct preferences for how other humans in my space behave. Um, I would say that for myself as well. Right. And so like my husband and I have a shorthand for some of these items. Like, so I will say to him, Eric, you're doing that thing you do. (laughs) And it is, it's like, it basically is like, oh my God, why is he like this? He has certain, certain things he does that drive me crazy. And so instead of saying like, you're engaging in this horrible activity, I'm just saying, did you know you're doing that thing? thing? You're doing that thing. We all love the thing, but just so you know, be aware you're doing the thing. And uh, I'm also curious. Why are you like this? Why are you like this? <laughs> yeah. Why do you do that thing? Uh, so what is it easier to change? Is it easier to change the person or is it easier to change the universe? It's easier to change the universe. Um, my graduate advisor 
uh, when I was getting my my doctorate, had a had a note on her wall, and I I think I really do think it was in response to me. I don't know, maybe it was, maybe it wasn't, but I saw it as a as a a mirror that I, I could see myself in. Did it specifically say, Paul? Why are you? Oh, like no, this? it didn't. No, it didn't. It didn't. But uh, I don't know. I, I like to think that it was about me just because it's like, yeah, that would make sense. Um, but it might be about, you know, her or whatever. I don't know what it was, but it was just a very simple note. And it said, you can't make people do what they don't want to do. Mm-hmm. And it sort of speaks to this uh, as well. Yeah. Our our mutual friend, Melanie, talks about this. I don't know if it's a book or a movie, but it's like this anecdote from some pop cultural thing that she knows um, where uh i guess some couple like gets in a fight and um though one of the people is upset because the other isn't gleefully doing the dishes and Mm -hmm. like the Mm -hmm. the whole idea of like you want the other person to want to do the dishes like and so melanie will sometimes when i am talking about a situation with a human in my life she will say sherry you want him to want to do the dishes yeah. And it's it's yeah, you can't change right. you can't change the other humans. You can't change that. Um so does this presume that so what's to be done? I mean, that's the that's the question here. What is to be done about this? So when somebody is doing something and it's not in your within your realm of acceptability, given the universe that you you would prefer and you can tell this because it's getting on your nerves or you know upset by it or whatever it's like they're just not playing the same game that you are is the way that uh, Ram Dass says this mm-hmm. um, they're playing their own game mm-hmm. uh, which is why you're probably as annoying to them as they are to you right you know that's the other side of this story um, or maybe not uh, what how does one change one's how does one change one's model of how the universe sort of sort of works how do you come to a place of acceptance right and cuz i mean what the feeling is uh my my own mentor would say what that feeling is you know you could describe it as anything you could describe it as frustration you can describe it as anger you could describe it as irritation it's all just resistance right it's all just <laughs> resistance um uh how does one how does one accommodate that that resistance recognizing it for what it is that's part of the metacognitive part recognizing ah this is resistance because this person is not participating in my in my game that's um that's a burden that's also an opportunity that's it it provides an opportunity for something right i would think right yeah i mean i think so i think i think the the response and i do think like it's important to try to figure out how to make sure that when you're experiencing resistance, that you're working on a response and not a reaction. Mm-hmm. Cause you don't, mm-hmm. I don't think we learn much from reactions actually. Um, I think, I think reactions are the lack of awareness, of learning, uh, yeah, lack of awareness, a lack of a learning, learning yeah. potential. Yeah. You're, I mean, it, it's your body doing what it can, anything that it can do to get out of discomfort as quickly as possible. Right. But it's not necessarily informed, right? Like, oh, no, no, no. It's it's purely. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the, you know, you're doing the glaucoma test and your eye, you keep blinking because you're like, no, no, I don't want this. But yeah, you have to right. have an informed response. Um, 
so I don't know. I think I've been thinking a lot about narrative lately and the, the stories we tell it ourselves, which you and I have talked about a lot. And mm-hmm. so I think part of the response comes down to cultivating an actual response that's not a reaction that starts with, well, what is the story you're telling yourself about this? Um, because I've noticed people that get really, really frustrated by other humans, right? Like mm-hmm. their parents, their right. children, their students, their teachers, whomever. Um, I think some of it starts with the storytelling that we do. Like this person did this specifically to annoy the crap out of me. Yeah. Yeah. Probably not. Actually, you're just not that interesting. No. Right. Like no. it sure feels like it because I mean, it is a personal affront. Right. To your view. I don't even, I mean, I'm trying to come up with the right word for what yeah. that is. A view is not quite it. It is a personal affront to your, um, your vision sense of how things should be. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, What is the right word there? I mean, yeah. So, yeah. So I think you have to figure out like, okay, so what's the story here? Uh, So that requires some curiosity. So Mm -hmm. like, why is this, why is this, sending up my own hackles like I have to figure that out uh and usually there I have a couple of different like particular triggers uh Mm -hmm. one of my colleagues pointed out once like she was like did you know that if something happens in a meeting that you identify as being unfair to someone you just lose your shit and I'm like Mm. yes yes fairness is a trigger for me not the worst thank you Uh. for noticing (laughs) Not the worst thing to re- to react yeah, negatively it, to. I think. Right, I it could I could could be worse. Uh, yeah, but so, like, I think a lot of us have different things that probably as a result of like, why are we like this? Because things have happened in our lives that make certain things be our button issue. Yeah, right. So trying to figure out like what's happening with me, and then also like, where like actually getting curious about where this other person is coming from that leads to this behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, like a lot of times when I get into like really bad situations with this, it's because I have crafted a narrative, uh, wherein, um, I have s- provided all the evidence for the other person's side of the story mm-hmm. without their data. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Um, we all have roles to play in the, in the grand production of how this day is going to go. Mm-hmm. And, by God, everybody, body better play their role to a T or we're going to have a problem here. Right. Um, and that's what's going on with me right now. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't, know if, I don't know if I mentioned this on the podcast yet or not. I'm not sure if I did mm-hmm. before. Um, about the last month, uh, there have been some people uh, outside of our, our mm-hmm. condo here um, that have been doing some tuck pointing. And so they have. I wish I had dramatic sound effects for this, like like the background music. Sorry, Paul. Go on, y'all. This is a touching and hard subject for Paul. And I'll tell you why. Um, And and so there's a not just is there a gasoline powered generator that's powering some of these tools. There's like an angle grinder. I mean, so they're they're having to like forcefully grind out. You know the the you know the mortar from between these bricks. And they do it like right when my class starts in the mm-hmm. morning. And it's like, I am going to freak 
out. And it's been, and it's like once or twice, oh, wow, that's inconvenient. I'll, I'll close the window. Mm-hmm. But um, they're really close to, to our unit. And it's like, oh, my God. And with the windows closed, uh, it's not loud, but it's just this constant, this constant sound. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to teach class. And I already have my own model set up of how I want that class to go and what's going to happen and how everybody's going to respond to it. That alone is its own source of, of pain. Uh because it always is. I mean, nothing ever goes the way that you think it's going to Mm-mm. go. Because there are other humans. This, yeah, there's other humans involved. So it's never going to go that way. But then there's this like this sound outside. And oh my God, how long does it take a group of people to tuck point? A, a condo. I mean, it's like, are they, oh my God, are they doing like one inch at a time? It's like they're going to be here for 15 years at this rate. Uh, so, um, and they're just not participating in, in how... I see this day going mm-hmm. and their stuff is still out there. They're going to be back tomorrow. I just know it. And <laughs> so, you know, what I build up, you know, it's this whole thing. And it's like, do they wait for my class to start to do this? Because it sure seems like they do, especially when my class starts at the time when they're working. Mm-hmm. So it's like I sort of bend my own reality to be maximally inconvenienced by this. Uh-huh. So not only does it happen, but I engineer it as a conspiracy against me and my... Right. My desire to be a good teacher because it interferes not only with my what I think is my ability to do a good job teaching a class. Um, it, uh, if, if that happens, if it does interfere with that ability to think that I'm doing a good job teaching my class, it's like my whole identity mm-hmm. is being threatened here. And it's like my whole identity of, of myself as a, as a professor, as a teacher, trying to do this on Zoom, trying to do my best, trying to show up with what I got trying to use my quirks and my weirdness and my professionalism and all that kind of stuff to do the best job I can all is for naught because they're tuck pointing my goddamn condo, you know, and they're freaking me out. And Mm -hmm. that sound is really getting on my damn nerves. Uh, So it's a, and part of the, it's tough. Part of the interesting reality is I've been on zoom with you while they were doing it. And I have not heard anything from my point of view, but I know that it is like, this is like the ongoing saga. Like, you know, Paul mentions it's been like a month and and it is like, it's almost to the point where I feel like each morning I have to, I should like check in and be like, how you doing? Are they there yet? Um, It was not good this morning. Yeah, it was not good. I know. I was going to point out, like, the first thing I heard from Paul today was, good morning. And good morning, too. Yeah. (laughs) I'm about to freak out because of these tuck pointers are over here. Yeah. Uh, And and they're just not, you know, blessed be, you know, our tuck pointers as as teachers, you know, to point out uh, resistance where I have it. Mm Mm-hmm. And that will be far easier for me to to say and accept that when they're done. Oh, yeah. Uh, however, they're not done. So I can recognize that. But it is less easy for me to appreciate <laughs> their instruction and their tutelage right now. Right. Well, and part of it, too, right? Like, because you can look out your window and see all the evidence, right? Like, you can see all their crap. And so, you know, it's like they leave their shit there just to remind you that they're going to come the, back for you tomorrow. Yeah. And the dust on my car. It's like, oh, my God. Intentionally yeah. getting dust on my car. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. One day they'll be finished. They will be. And you know what will happen then? Something else. Right. They're going to redo a sidewalk (laughs) or it's just, you know. Something else will happen. Yeah. 
Yeah, so just... But I mean, how often does that happen, though? So, I mean, we'll we'll have a nice cup of coffee on the patio in the morning and a nice cool breeze is coming through and somebody fires up a leaf blower mm-hmm. or somebody starts to mow their lawn or the tuck pointers start or somebody's getting their roof done or whatever, you know, yeah. fill in the blanks. You know, there's always going to be something there to sort of screw up your perfect... Your perfect uh, view and your perfect model, your perfect expectation, your perfect, this is how this is going to go and it's going to be extraordinarily perfect and it's going to be great and ah, this is going to be wonderful. It never goes the way that you think it, it will. Mm-hmm. Or very rarely does it ever do that. Yeah. There's always something, I don't think Alanis Morissette wrote a song about this, if not several, if not several. Um, and uh, it can be frustrating. It can be frustrating. I was waiting for you to sing Alanis Morissette, and now I'm kind of disappointed that that didn't happen. So yeah, I'll just sit with later, that. Maybe soon. Okay. Well, uh, I'm trying to think of what song it would be. It's it's, it's several, you know. It's uh, but yeah, I mean, I think that's that's the part that for me, I think, can make life sometimes feel a little bit relentless, right? Like, mm-hmm. and I think that's been part of uh, kind of my journey this week is just. Um, if I can let my, if I let myself get in kind of the, the attitude, everything can feel relentless. Like it's like, oh, well, you know, I don't have tuck pointing over here. And let's be honest. I don't really even know what that word means, except I know (laughs) it is Paul's least favorite thing. Right now it is. Um, Oh, Sherry, the tuck pointer is over here working on the brickwork. Yeah. Like condo, right. I mean, being able to actually make the statement is a statement on privilege and, (laughs) and, and, you know, your life ain't that bad if the tuck pointers are annoying you while you're teaching class on zoom with your Wi-Fi and your, you know, yeah. Yeah, like it's eating. a ridiculous thing to say to begin with. Right. But it, yeah. So uh, yeah, I'll Google that word later. Um, but what I know right now is that tuck pointers are Paul's nemesis and, yeah. you know, he could do worse. A little bit. Little yeah. Bit, yeah. Yeah. But it's interesting. I think um, it, it is like, if not like the tuck pointers are just taking up that space of the challenge you have to overcome today. Um, yeah. Because tomorrow, if they pack up and go, something else will arrive. Yeah, I will make something else arrive if it if it if it doesn't. Oh yeah. The mind finds danger. The mind works to find danger. Right, and I think sometimes I think that is the most dangerous part. Like thinking about the the question of like Sherry, why are you like this? Um, one of the things that sometimes just baffles me. Um, about myself is so I have kind of this ongoing battle uh, with anxiety and I understand intellectually where anxiety comes from and why it's here, but I don't understand why it's still here. Right. Like, come on. I have done all the things, right? Like I have a great meditation practice. I write three pages every morning, right? Like I eat the good food and I go for my freaking walks and okay. I'm done with anxiety now. And then it shows up, right? And sometimes it will stalk me for a couple of days. And then I still end up every now and again, like in a place where I'm just like, okay, I guess I guess we're doing anxiety today. Right. Um, and that is the time when like I find myself like shaking my fist at myself, asking like, why are you like this? Like, and especially because I think anxiety is 
like cognitively, I think anxiety is a ridiculous thing to experience because I know I am not being attacked by cheetahs. Right. Why does my body right. want to tell me that I am? It's ridiculous. Teaching your class uh, and the anxiety that comes from, oh my God, what? because that's what I did this morning. I woke up super early because my body likes to wake me up on days, especially when I teach in the morning because I have a... <laughs> body-wide fear of sleeping is like of uh, because the cheetahs are coming sleeping in because the cheetahs are coming so it's like oh my god i have to i have to come up with something class i have to be interesting i have to these students paid for this class it has to be wonderful and ah oh, the goddamn tuck pointers and uh, blah 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 and you, you kind of go down these rabbit holes especially uh when it's dark especially when it's early in the morning and you're laying in bed and didn't get up with mm -hmm. which is why i have my rule never believe anything that your mind says in the middle of the night i invoke that frequently but, you know, when you get up and start moving around, it's like, so uh, there's going to be some noise outside the window. I'll close the window. And nobody's going to hear it. Class will be fine. I've I've taught this subject a million times. Mm -hmm. So what? What is it? Yeah, because you can, why why am I reacting this way? Right. You can have that great little self-talk thing with yourself. Right. It's so reassuring. You're going to be fine, Paul. You've done this before, but like, yeah, you can say all that, but it's not like your heart is really going to believe you. It's going to be oh, like, no. whatever, we're still going to get him up. He needs to worry about it an extra hour just in case. Yeah. Yeah. And when the, when the mind starts going in directions of anxiety, it's the mind is probably not going to be able to talk itself out of it. You know, that's just two people having an argument inside your head at the same time. Mm -hmm. Nobody's going to win, you know, uh, the anxiety is not listening to the reason and the reason sure as hell isn't listening to the anxiety trying to get it to freak out by design. So yeah. um, you end up with uh, two people yelling at each other in your head instead of one. Yep. And well, and I think part of, for me, I think part of what I'm trying to realize is that like, that's just going to be what's happening, right? Like, okay, that's yeah. what we're doing today. Um, doing. And so like, instead of, policing myself and screaming at myself sherry why are you like this like i'm trying to get better at just being like okay that's what we're doing today um and i've got like there's this podcast i listen to that i've probably mentioned here before um that's called help me be me and mm -hmm. uh you know on that like she has talked about how people respond to situations when they're insecure and so mm -hmm. some people withdraw and some people get clingy and like she makes the point that like when you're feeling clingy, you do not have to let the clingy side of you have the microphone. Um, right. And so I'm trying to notice that like when I'm in this reactive mode and I'm doing some interesting storytelling with myself, maybe don't let the anxious one be the one that gets the microphone. Right. Um, or like my my greatest mo is like if I can't handle my anxiety, what I do is pick fights with people I love. Um, mm -hmm. because then that distracts me. I don't have to deal with the anxiety if I can be busy, like waging war against some busy, other yeah. human. Makes sense. Yeah, it's perfectly Makes logical. Sense. It's worked for years. Um, so, but now that I'm trying not to do that, I have to be like, okay, crazy, anxious woman, you don't get the microphone. Um, the rational one gets the microphone. So right. she is going to you know, reach out to her husband and yeah. say, yeah, I'm doing that thing I do. 
that anxious one can stay. They just don't get to. I don't get to kick her out. Drive. They don't get to drive. You know, they can be in the car, but they don't get the wheel. Mm -hmm. You know, they can they can hang out in the back seat for a little while. Yeah, and then I just can ride shotgun. They can ride shotgun. They can ride shotgun. Yeah, just don't get to drive. Mm Mm-hmm. And then I just have to remember, maybe we're going to roll down the windows so we can't hear her. Maybe we'll yeah. turn up the music. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, that's a good way to. Why is she like this? Why is she like this? My God. Um, but yeah, when we were originally talking about this, uh, we were talking. When I say originally, I mean before we, we hit the hit the record. An hour this, ago. Yeah. We were talking about some of the. Uh, we, were, we were talking about trauma. You know, mm-hmm. not in the nitty gritty details of God, what happened to me and what happened to you and how did we get this way as a result of our traumas and things like that. But I think um, some of the experiences that we've had in our in our lives um, have resulted in the the like this. When we think about the why, or why am I like this or why are you like this? That is not uh, that that are that are not bad things. That are not things that. Um, are diminishing or diminutive mm-hmm. of others or are uh, or are hurtful I, I think in trying to live our best lives and trying to show up as best we can some of the unfortunate painful I wouldn't wish this on somebody else I would have rather not had that experience if I really think about it uh, logically have resulted in uh, me being who I am in ways that are are not bad and mm-hmm. this is certainly not an invitation for you to go out and be traumatized by <laughs> by something <laughs> it's more down the lines of okay so you know things happen in your life that aren't great mm-hmm. things happen in your life that you would rather not have happened it was really hard and it was really painful uh, damage was incurred and inflicted upon you and that is an undeniable thing and and that is yours and nobody can take it away from you that doesn't mean um I don't know how to finish that sentence, you know, and it's like, it doesn't mean it was bad. It's like, yeah, it was bad. You know, it's like, it, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that um, those experiences cannot be as awful as they were, can't be a part of what makes you great. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think part of it right? is, is that, is that, this is, the, the, I'm, I'm having a fun time with the words here, trying to figure out what the right one, ones are. Yeah. It's, well, I think. So life is hard, right? And people people don't live a life without trauma. Like, I think that there are people who suffer through very horrific experiences mm-hmm. that are incredibly traumatic. And I objectively think objectively so, objectively so, right? I but I don't think that most people uh, would say that they are completely and utterly trauma free, right? Um, in fact, it's interesting. The whole concept of the Enneagram, uh, to some extent, one of the ways that some people talk about how you kind of form your Enneagram number has mm-hmm. to do with childhood trauma and not mm-hmm. necessarily childhood abuse, but it's just like, what's the lesson you learned because you were a human in the world that makes yeah. you the way you are? And so, you know, like with, you know, Enneagram well, I don't want to get into the specifics mostly because I don't want to talk about how much I hate the Enneagram for because that's what I am. And I think they're just dramatic and terrible um, because that's what I am. But I also love Enneagram for anyway, but like there's something in 
the narrative. So, okay, I will. With the Enneagram 4, like a lot of times the Enneagram 4 can see the awesome in literally every other number of the Enneagram because they think everyone else is awesome, but they think that they are unique and that they are the only one alive that has nothing of value. Yeah, right. And so they are able to passionately explore all the beauty of every other number, but they think they, they are the one that came out with nothing of use. Um, And so something happens, right? And it's not like, you know, anyone's parents or loved ones like prescribe this kind of thing. It's just, what did you, what did you randomly internalize because you're a human in the world? So I think trauma is just like what happens as a consequence of being alive. I agree. Yeah, yeah, I I totally agree. And um, objectively, horrible things happening to people sort sort of aside. Yeah. There are folks that we that we see where it appears to us in our extraordinarily limited view of what other people's lives are like that nothing bad has ever happened to them. And Mm -hmm. oh, their life is so easy. Their life is perfect. Nothing bad ever happens to them. That may or may not be be true. Um, And whether or not it is true really doesn't always relate to whether or not they have something that they would call trauma. Because I guarantee something is happening currently right now in everyone's life that is not fitting into um, their, their preferred their preferred model of how the universe should be. And is that trauma? Is that not trauma? It's like, well, it's upsetting and they're thinking about it and it's haunting them and they think about it when it's not directly happening or they're not being confronted with it. It it, it's re- it sits there in the mind and it resonates through and that leaves that leaves a little bit of a yeah. uh, little bit of a mark that 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 makes us who we are, that forms our experience, that mm-hmm. forms our worldview, that forms our personality and and how we show up. Uh, Mm -hmm. for people and with people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, I remember uh, there was a guy that I spent a lot of time with during my undergrad years. Um, We worked at the same writing center for a while. And at some point, like he told me that he wasn't looking for a partner who didn't have baggage. He just really wanted someone whose baggage was complimentary to his. And I think that's Mm -hmm. actually a a reference to rent now that i say it aloud i'm Mm. like he wasn't Mm. the first person to say that um Mm. but i think that that you know there's some truth to what it means to like be able to live in community with other people we all are going to bring whatever made us this way to the table right right uh but part of the 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 struggle of figuring out who your people are is like whose baggage complements yours right um and then whose baggage just really like doesn't. And that's, I've started to realize that the people that I draw in, in my life and the people that maybe I keep more distance with, it doesn't have to do anything with inherent worth of humans. It has to do with like, whose, whose stuff complements mine and whose just makes all the, who can I be my best self near? Yeah. Um, is complimentary baggage uh, baggage that is the same as yours or this is the opposite of yours or is the inverse of yours? What makes complimentary baggage complimentary? Well, I, I don't think it's sameness, right? Because if it was like ours wouldn't go together, right? Like right, I think. Right. Because we have different baggage. We have we have very different baggage. Vastly different baggage. Yeah. Vastly different baggage. Yeah. But I think together our baggage makes a really nice set. We can, I think, speak from a 
from to to each other's baggage from a place of I don't know if the word baggage is as kind as we want it to be. I'll just make that statement for its own sake, but it's okay with me for the purposes of this conversation. If it's okay with you, um, I'm we, just we thinking about baggage. luggage right now, so it's fine. Yeah, right, <laughs> we both have different baggage, but we also both know that we individually have baggage. Mm-hmm. Um, and because of that, we both feel like I think we reserve the right to speak to the baggage concept. But because it's different, it's like, Sherry, I understand baggage, but I don't necessarily, I haven't lived your baggage. Right. That that you have. Uh, and uh, maybe that gives me something to say. Maybe it just, maybe it doesn't. Maybe it just affords me um, compassion to listen. Mm-hmm. He's like, I get baggage. It ain't mine, but uh, I'd love to hear it because I get baggage. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I do. Maybe that's it. It's like, be it baggage or struggle or just like lived experiences. Like we haven't lived the same things, but I think we're able. Something as a result of who we are allows us. I think we just have an openness to each other like whatever that is like yeah right yeah right um i would say that's true oh good um so yeah <laughs> the pad the podcast lives another day yeah um um but the question that i mean our you know our, our mutual friend nora you know mm-hmm. uh, can can she has this thing that she can do where um i love nora i love everybody loves nora yeah. I think everybody loves Nora. I love Nora. I, I don't know. love the people who don't love Nora. Yeah, me either. They have something wrong with them. What's, right. what, what, Their baggage. What, what made them baggage? like this? Anyway. What made them like this? Um, she can take this extraordinarily complex or esoteric or conversational whole thing and she can boil it down. She can, I don't even know if that's... She can succinctly formulate that into this one sentence that just cuts through everything mm. else. And um, she she blew my mind a couple of, I guess it was probably about six months ago. We hold this conversation. What is meditation? What is mindfulness? How do you teach it? Uh, what is the point of view for a teacher to tell, you know, this whole big sort of esoteric shop talk conversation about being meditation teachers and leaders and participants and having a practice. Um, and she just sort of, throws her hands up in a Nora-like way and say, what do you feel right now and can I be with this? Mm-hmm. What, what am I feeling right now and can I be with this? That's it. And that's it. You know, that's the whole that's the whole conversation sort of in a nutshell. And when you're interacting with a, an experience or an individual or a set of circumstances that are, are hard, that are friction, that are, you know, you're resistant to in your in your view... What are you feeling right now? Mm-hmm. Can you be with this? And what is the lesson for me to learn here? And so when this person is yelling at you, when the tuck pointers are angle grinding grout from the brick, uh, when your delightful husband is, quote unquote, doing that thing that he does. Uh, he really does. What are you feeling right now? Uh, what am I feeling right now? Uh, can I be with this? And what is the lesson that this has that this teacher has to teach me about this, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, because you can't change the tuck pointing. And if, if you spend your life running around trying to make everything comfortable and fit, it's going to be exhausting. 
and 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 you it will be exhausting and you will not do it yeah you, you can't you will fail well and that's the thing that i'm i kind of am i've been thinking about feedback related to all of this right um so i think sometimes we give other people in our lives feedback because we want to make our relationships more comfortable right um right so we might say human you do this thing and it, you shouldn't do that thing because it's not the right thing for our relationship. And, and I've been in, I've been in a lot of like relationships where that happens, right? Like I receive feedback right. on my behavior and I have learned that I am not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, I might be losing where I'm going with this, but I'm thinking a lot about how like, whether or not giving people feedback like that in a relationship, whether that actually leads us to the results we want, or if it just sort of pacifies a particular moment, right? Like I'm trying to think of, basically I'm trying to think about like conflict resolution. Like right. if you are in conflict with someone and you tell them you're doing this thing, don't do that thing anymore. They could stop doing the thing what is actually solved in the relationship if a person just says, oh, you don't like this, so I won't do that anymore? Yeah, and a lot of times what we see is people who do understand each other very well, who do understand um, what the thing that, that, gets, that gets them under their skin or whatever it might be is. And um, out, out, we, we say out, out of consideration – do something different because we don't want to cause discomfort i think i hope in in other people i think the fact is that even in in our best in our best interests in our best cases in our best selves there's going to be occasional conflict i think mm -hmm. conflict is unavoidable i think i think it is um and so conflict resolution i think a lot of times begins with the conversation where you you try to understand the other person's perspective or point of view or where they're coming from. And uh, this is a, this is a published story, so I'm not telling tales outside of school or anything when I say this, but uh, you know, Tara Brock up here at the, you know, inside meditation community of Washington and her husband, Jonathan Faust say they, they, when, when they get in an argument, the winner quote unquote is the first person who understands what the argument is about from the other person's point of view. <laughs> and and so that's what they sort of strive to so you know the, the winner of the argument who understands where the other person is coming from first so, so paul tries to shortcut this by just asking me why is this a fight <laughs> why is this a fight yeah what's going on where are we um why is this a fight um but that's interesting because i mean what what you see i mean and i i don't think this is just sort of you know, just think about it differently and everything is going to be fine. It's hard to get to this place, I think. And I'm certainly no expert and I don't know if too many people are because we're going to have conflict in our lives. But one way that I think about this, or at least I try to, is if I if I have something, I mean, we can take the talk pointers. We can talk about an individual who, you know, is particularly get under my skinnable, so to speak. You know, they, they really do a good job of just rubbing me the wrong way or whatever it is. And... Uh, I feel like it's 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 once again that time to say, 
that uh, if you don't have somebody like that in your life, you are that person in that life. <laughs> um, but everybody gets on everybody else's nerves eventually sometime about things. It's just sort of a fact. What you get from trying to actually understand the other person's point of view, your world gets bigger. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it causes you to rethink your world and your existence in the universe as you see it in a way that expands to fit that, to yeah. ex- expands to be able to make room for it, uh, expands it in a way that lets you be with it. And, and it's sort of this, how do I incorporate this and this too into my life? Mm-hmm. How do I expand my worldview uh, so that it's big enough to accept the tuck pointers, that it's big enough to accept uh, COVID-19, that mm. it's big enough to accept uh Whatever, pick right. any anything, anything. Wildfires in California, which are catastrophic, the haze of which that we're experiencing outside of our windows in the Mid Atlantic with right now. Mm-hmm. The sunrise was orange this morning. It's usually not, uh, not like that anyway. Yeah. Um, and those are all pretty bad examples, but there's still that little annoying thing. You know, you're out of cheese and it's a burrito night. Oh God. Why didn't this person pick up the cheese? How am I going to do this? I guess it's not going to be, you know, a million things go wrong, you know, because of a two ninety nine bag of cheese. Um, how do you expand your, or can you expand, or in what way can we expand our, our universe that we build inside of our own selves to a place that it's big enough that you can be with that? Mm-hmm. And what the lesson is in this for you that, and the lesson is, you can you can you can get bigger you can expand more you know there, there's a room for expansion here that's not to say that when you are experiencing true trauma being inflicted upon you that you need to sit there and take it you mm-hmm. do not you know you do not right yeah that's true yeah i like this idea of like the purpose being to expand our perception of the universe i've been thinking in my own classes i've been thinking a lot about metaphor and the metaphors we use and i open my class uh right now with uh, a piece called metaphors we live by which points out um lakoff and johnson uh points out the way in which um so much of our world right now and especially how we talk about language and conflict um argument is really rooted in war imagery Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that limits how we approach other people so much. Uh, So we always like, um, you know, like when you're talking about a discussion with people, you know, we use this very aggressive, very war driven language about like cutting down somebody else's point and like shutting other folks down. Um, But I think what you're suggesting here, this idea of expansion as opposed to warfare um, is super important. Like if we approached conflict as kind of like what Tara Brack's uh, family is doing. Mm-hmm. Like if, if the winner is the person who knows more than when they started. Right. Yeah. Like, and, but that's a very contradictory way of th- approaching argument. Like, um, you know, I often tell my students about like fights with my husband. I'm going to use air quotes around fights uh, right. with my husband about like how to load the dishwasher. And I always ask them like, um, okay, so one of us is tines up, the other one's tines down. 
Uh, for the silverware, we want to work. The answer is time's up, right? It is. I thought I knew. I yeah, knew. there is an answer. But yeah. but before we got <laughs> the there. Right, the right answer is time. Sorry. Yeah, Paul just had to make sure he was right. Uh huh. <laughs> but so I asked my, my students, like, one of us thinks this, the other one thinks this. Uh, what is my goal in this argument? And they're always so fascinating because they're like, to get him to load the dishwasher, to make him yeah. do it the way you want, to win. And I always tell them, no, no, no. My goal is to stay married. Like, that's it. That's the yeah. goal. The goal is yeah. I don't want a divorce. So, yeah. A secondary goal might be clean dishes. Meh, whatever. You know. <laughs> I just want to stay married. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So like every time I go into a conflict, because I've chosen this person, this is a person I want to stay with. So right. every time my husband and I find ourselves in a tense moment, I always remember my purpose here is to stay married. And I do this with other humans in my life too. Like if, if it's a person I've said, this is one who's going to be stuck with me for a long time, right. then every time we have conflict, my goal is, all right, how do I stay in this relationship? That changes everything. Yeah, it does. It, it does. And I mean, I'm, I'm really kind of thinking about the sort of the, the warlike battle-like metaphor or, or, or narrative that, that you talk about, because that really is it. You know, conflict, when when conflict turns to aggression, you know, that that's making, that, that's how you make your world smaller. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that, is, that is explicitly the, um, your refusal of expansion. Mm-hmm. It's, it's shrinking. It's shrinking. Yeah. A worldview. Um, yeah. Understanding other people's points of view with going into it without saying, you know, how do I turn this person around to my point of view without engineering your world in a way to a predetermined outcome that is the most comfortable for you and whatever your message is. And you're going at it from the perspective, I'm going to have a conversation with this person and I don't agree with much of what they have to say, but, you know, it's it's part of the universe that is and I'm going to make my world bigger because of it. I'm not necessarily going to agree with it, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to be as resistant to it because I'm going to be more accepting that the that the universe is that big. Yeah. Uh, to to accept that, too. Yeah. And it's like, you know, the objective is not to agree with everything that everybody does. I think the sooner that we come into it with the point of view that discomfort is a known fact that is inevitable, mm-hmm. you know, and nothing you're going to do is going to remove that yeah. from this. It takes us to the other, um, to the other ways of seeing the world, mm-hmm. you know, which gets into um, compassion for, for suffering and joy yeah. at the, at the joy of others. Right. Yeah. Equanimity means you get both. And it's best just to go into this loving everyone. That's all for the Brahma Viharas, the divine abodes. Uh-huh. <laughs> they come up in every conversation we have for some reason. But well. that's what that does, you know. Um, expanding the world does that. And some people say that, you know, if you want to get a bigger worldview, if you want to understand more about all the variation of all things, if you want to expand your mind, travel. That's mm-hmm. why COVID-19 sucks so bad for yeah. a lot of people outside of the death and, and the dying and the, and, the, and the suffering of the illness itself is that we're all sort of locked down and, you know, we don't, we don't have as much opportunity really to in, in person experience those, mm-hmm. those things that expand our, our worldview. We're all sort of stuck for a little bit. Yeah. With what we got. Yeah. I mean, well, in the isolation and 
it's interesting because I've been noticing the ways in which the kinds of little things that bubble up with students um, and with colleagues, a lot of them are things, at least for me, that would be reconciled so easily in a physical classroom. Like any kind of challenge or difference, like the proximity to another human, um, it just changes the way we can diffuse and the way we can even show curiosity for things. Um, I'm noticing just how much um, the conditions of learning and exchanging with others, especially on the online, um, like thinking about that argument and war battle uh, kind of metaphor is, I guess, again, um, so much of what we do when we're separate from each other, um, it's so easy to fall into like, defensive mode like Mm -hmm. um and i think as soon as that like gets triggered like we stop having something productive yeah right like right you know what what makes something feel smaller than like all the imagery that you could have related to something that is defensive right like that there's Mm -hmm. no way that is open or expansive um but for some reason, there's something about mediated experience, like be it phone calls or Zoom, everything about this to me sort of emulates this kind of like offense, defense, sides, this very divided, mm. this very unexpansive way of communicating. Right. And I, and I, so I think it's another byproduct of like why things are so hard. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to figure that part out. Yeah, that's curious. That's curious. But, but I, but I don't know. I, I have become a little maybe fixated on the the concept of like what happens to dialogue when offense and defense are part of the conversation or part of mm-hmm. the dynamic so mm-hmm. yeah and, and there's um there's certainly part of this you know how to reconcile this discomfort and um that is in everyone's life i think uh with with a skill set there is mm-hmm. you know mindful listening uh active communication nonviolent communication right these ways that they're not going to prevent conflict but they are a clearer set of paths that you can take that might help you get to a point of understanding and a point of not, not agreement, but uh, uh, a way you can communicate with somebody else in order to let information go back and forth uh, without as much pain. Mm-hmm. You know, Sherry, you did this and it really pisses me off and I really hate it when you do that. So don't do that again. I mean, that is not the way to get there. You know, that is not the... That's off, that's oftentimes how a lot of these things start, right? You know, um, and oftentimes, uh, if you if you try to start from a more understanding, nonviolent way, it oh, it doesn't always go as well as you want it to. <laughs> if one person is doing it and the other person is not, it can. You know, can't you realize I'm trying to have a fight with you? It's like, what, you know, you can use you can, you can actually get pissed at the other person because they're not fighting back is. Right. As energetically as you wanted to, because damn it, you came here for a fight. And what are you giving me all this peace next stuff? 
Yeah. What do you mean, where am I feeling this in my body? What are you talking about? How is it showing up in my... That's not what we're talking form? about. Yeah. Focus on my breath. You focus on your breath. <laughs> oh, it's so funny how we, how we respond to humans. Yeah. I'm even thinking about some of this, like, even with, like, how you respond to... Like, how do you respond to students? How do you respond to... Like, you know, what does nonviolent feedback look like in a classroom? Right. Like I have been ha I've over the years, I've had a lot of conversations about how we give feedback um, to mm -hmm. students. And I mean, I give all of my feedback now in conference because I think everything needs to happen as a conversation starter. And I think sometimes mm -hmm. like you just put a grade on an assignment and you think of it as the conversation ender. Like we think of feedback as defending our perspective on who you are. Right. Like what if feedback was a conversation starter where we got curious about why do your results look like this? Yeah. Um, and my, my mentor that I work with uh, will do this when, when, when she offers feedback about something um, it, it's oftentimes couched in the, what, what did we do? Well, what could we do better next time? Kind of thing. Mm -hmm. which uh, is a kind of a kind way to, to go about it. It's not, this is what you did well, and this is what you did that, I mean, even when it, even when it said, and this is what you, we could do better, you still hear it as, this is how you really, really screwed it up, and it's, you did a shitty job, and this is how, don't, you know, this is how it could be. It's like, but she doesn't mean it that way, you know? Right. It's like, you did this well, this was great, and these are things that we can, we can do even better than, than the way that we did them before, which is, which is awesome. But even after that, when you go through that that way, um, she will she will say, um, "How are you feeling right now?" Is a result of what I what I said. Mm -hmm. And um, if you can get to that place where you're thinking about how you are, like metacognitively, how you are responding to what's going on around you and paying attention to that, you can start to see in a way that prevents self judgment or that circumvents self judgment um, who you are and that it's okay and mm -hmm. and that you're not coming from something from the same place or. Uh, it was it was hard to hear, but you're thankful mm -hmm. for hearing it. Hmm, that's interesting. Why am I reacting that way? Huh? You, you come up, you come at it with a sense of curiosity more than resistance. Mm -hmm. And coming at anything from a point of curiosity will expand the size of your world. Yeah. That's, I think. you know, one of the reasons, so I don't grade like a lot of English teachers do. I grade in conference and I do it through four conversations four questions that I ask my students after I read their essay right in front of them, um, which is a whole other thing. But, um, but the first question I always ask them is like, how do you feel about it? And that question is sort of nebulous in a lot of ways. But the reason I ask that is because it's the most informed, like in some ways the other questions don't matter. Yeah. The first right. question, how do you feel about this thing tells me everything I need to know. Um, because the reason I started doing conferences is I used to sit down and I would spend so much time trying to guess what the human that wrote the paper experienced uh -huh. that led to the paper so that I knew where to start with the feedback. And so, you know, it's like, oh, I got to justify the grade and blah, blah, blah. But what I realized when I started doing these grade conferences is like these humans, they, they know what they turned in. Right. Yeah. Um, right. So when you ask, how do you feel about it? Sometimes they will say to you, huh, I feel like my computer crashed an hour before it was due <laughs> and I panicked and this is the best I could do. 
or they will say, you know, it's the best thing I've ever written or, you know, like whatever they say tells you where the conversation needs to yeah. start. Right. Um, but I think before I always struggled with grading, if I went into like, that's the thing is I can't grade as an English teacher uh, from a place where I assume that I am the authority on the paper that my student has written. Right. Right. Nobody is, but the person who wrote it. Exactly. Yeah. Nobody is, but the person who wrote it. Yeah. So I think I have been liberated by my own curiosity. Yeah. Like I want to know more about them and boy, does it make my job easier. So fostering curiosity, not a bad thing. Not a bad thing, as it turns out. Not a out. bad thing. Maybe I should just be more curious about this whole tuck pointing thing that's going on outside. Maybe, Maybe you should go out outside, outside and ask them some questions. Take a look at it. I'll take them some, uh, take them some uh, LaCroix or some fizzy water or something. There you go. Hey, guys, what's going on? Talking through on. socially distance and wearing masks, of course. Of course. And then that might give you the occasion to ask, yeah, so, so where are you in your practice uh, yeah. with this? And how much... <laughs> longer do you imagine it might take and yeah. what's the fee that would take for you to do it maybe in yeah. a more timely fashion i'm not saying that i'm offering you a bribe but if you did how would that go over how would you, how would that be how, where would you feel that in your body you know, <laughs> would that be something that you would walk yeah cool yeah uh awesome so paul's gonna bribe awesome. some tuck pointers i'm gonna bribe the tuck pointers uh -huh. i'm gonna uh tell your Tell your husband that he's doing that thing he and is. that the tines go up. Mm -hmm. And uh, <laughs> do you want to know that uh, both of us will suffer as a result of the technical, uh, the painful truth is that I was wrong on that subject. On what the tines? Mm -hmm. What? Okay. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? So originally, I was the tines down one. You were the tines down person. Yeah. Do you know what changed my mind? What? So two things changed my mind. One, we got a new dishwasher where it is literally impossible to put the tines down. Right. Two, I had a student who I explained this to in, and he was like, did you know there's actually a right answer according to the health inspector? Health inspector? What does the health inspector know? Apparently, if you have the tines down, like all that dirty water running off onto the part of the... That you put in your face? Yeah. You don't want that. You want... That's what I'm thinking. It's like, no way. Yeah, you want... Tines up. Yeah. So, tines up is the way to go, except we do go knife down. With knives. Yeah. yeah. With knives go down. Tine. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm glad this was always so clear to you, Paul Fitzgerald. My universe was already big enough to accept that. Mm -hmm. It was already part of my mm -hmm. part of my neighborhood. So. I knew you were always on Eric's side. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. We talked before we... Do these things to make sure that we're in agreement before there, talk to you. There is a weird way where I will tell, I will run things past Eric occasionally, and he will give me a response, and I will say to him, "Do you know that's literally what Paul said? What did you call him? Why are you always on his side?" We text like a thousand times a day. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you all are besties, and yeah, that's fine. I mean, I like you both. I understand yeah. why you would like each other yeah. so much. Yeah. It's yeah. fair. So. Eric's uh, a great guy, but no, there is not a vast conspiracy to <laughs> infuriate Sherry and all things. No, because in order for that, this whole thing to be true, like you and Eric would both have to be people who are active texters. Yeah, and we're not. that's not that. a thing to be true. <laughs> yeah, I've... Uh, circumvented that argument from the start haven't i mm. haven't mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Wonderful to talk to you, Sherry. This was an interesting conversation. Wasn't really it? it a lot. Me too. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Very cool. So uh, what's the question again? Why are you like this? Why well, are you like this? Yeah, why are Paul, you like why this? why are you like this? Why am I like this? I don't know. Cause and conditions. I mean, we have these experiences in our lives that that shape us. And mm-hmm. half of them are good. Half of them are bad. We We get both. And how do you uh, appreciate the good? How do you take the stuff that ain't so hot that happens to us mm-hmm. um, that we that that's foisted upon us, or that is the result of our own decisions, um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and and squeeze some squeeze some benefit to to ourselves and others out of it if we can. You know, sometimes you can't. Sometimes stuff just sucks, though. It's true. And I would say, Paul, I'm glad you're like this, but that would be far too sappy for someone like Paul. So I won't say that to him. I'm glad you're like this too, Sherry. Yeah, thanks, Paul. <laughs> if you were not, if you if you were a sappier person, I would say, I'm glad you're like this. But since you're not, yeah, you know, whatever. That's how you do it. That's how you do it. Cool. Have a wonderful afternoon, Sherry. You too, we'll Paul. Talk to you, soon. Talk to you later. Take care, everybody. Bye. Bye-bye. This podcast is produced by Sherry Spiegel, Paul Fitzgerald, and This Most Unbelievable Life. For more information, please check us out at www.thismostunbelievablelife.com.